0: Well, welcome. Yeah, like Joel said, my name is Logan Cross. I'm an intern at the Norton Campus uh, of Grace Church, uh, working with students, uh, which makes me happy to see that there's students in this room. It kind of makes me feel uh, more comfortable, makes me feel a little bit more at home. Uh, but when Joel kind of approached me with this opportunity uh, to speak here today, I was so honored uh, and excited to be here with you guys. I was so uh, honored and excited. And I, I was talking with Joel, uh, and I met with him and was thinking about, okay, what are we going to talk talk about. Uh, I was trying to figure out a little bit about you guys. It kind of felt like I was asking questions before a first date, like trying to see what are you guys interested in? What topic should I stay away from? Like just trying to kind of feel the room and feel the waters. Um, And I loved asking him that question because uh, when I started asking him about you guys, his face just like lit up. And he is so, he loves you guys so much. And so I was asking him, hey, how would you describe uh, your campus? And he talked about you guys' sense of community, your generosity, your resilience, your grit, your servanthood, and your grace. Uh, And my wife and I, my wife Ashley, we've been married coming up on two years here. But we uh, came to visit in December uh, just to kind of start start to feel the vibe a little bit. Uh, And we experienced really all of what he talked about. Like, we felt, as an outsider, uh, so welcomed, so loved, uh, and we, we felt so appreciated by you guys, and so that made me even more excited to, to be here in front of you guys today and to talk. And I'm grateful and honored, and we're going to be walking through, as Joel said, our, our fourth week in the series, Calm in an Anxious World. And when I heard about that, what I was going to be teaching about, I felt it was kind of ironic, uh, because as soon as I heard of this opportunity, the thoughts started racing through my head. I started losing sleep from that moment. Like, don't even get me started on last night. But like, literally, I felt all the symptoms of anxiety in my life. My heart was racing. It is right now. I'm shaking a little bit. The the voice is quivering a little bit. Uh, All of these thoughts started racing through my head. And so that's why I'm so excited because through preparing this, I've learned a lot about myself, learned a lot about anxiety, uh, and I'm excited to step into some new territory today. Uh, But I've got a question for you. Uh, What do you think of when you see cop lights? What do you think of when you see cop lights? Probably probably that something's wrong, right? So... Uh, My wife was taking our little dog to get a haircut in Wadsworth uh, early December, and she gives me a call, and I'm like, okay, like, this is great. This isn't too out of the ordinary for her. She gives me a call. I pick up the phone. Hey, like, what's up, babe? And she's like, Logan, you're not going to believe this. Uh, I just dropped our dog off at at Petco, and and I'm driving back, and we're in that Wadsworth Plaza area, and you know Target, right? I'm like, yeah, I, I know Target. We've been there many, many times. Uh, and I'm like, "What's up with Target?" And she's like, "You're not going to believe this, but there are 12 police cars out front of Target, lights on, sirens going. I have no idea what's going on." So me on the other end of the phone call, I'm like, "Hey, well maybe you should like start making your way home now. Like I don't want to be, you, you I don't want you to be involved in that." And I'm like, "Okay, like are you okay?" And she's like, "Yeah, I'm fine." But not only are there 12 cop cars, lights on, sirens going, there's two ambulances. <laughs> I'm like. Oh, man, you can see the thoughts starting to race through my head. And she said, Logan, not only are there 12 cop cars, two ambulances, but there are, there's a SWAT truck. And I'm like, the SWAT truck? Like, lights on, sirens going, she's filling me in on this story. And, and as you can picture, uh, you've probably been there too. You're like, I don't know what's going on. What's going on at Target? Is there a robbery? Is someone injured? Is there a shooting? Like, you have no idea what's going on. And so she came home. And we started talking through, processing what happened. And I I do what just about all you guys do. Anytime you hear like a boom or hear uh, like sirens, we go on Facebook and we start looking, okay, what's going on in Wadsworth? More specifically, what's going on at Wadsworth? Target. Uh, And so we did that and we found the Wadsworth Police Department page and they released a notice for the public. And they said, hey, public, just so you know, we are having a shop with a cop event going on at Target (laughs) that day, that time. And if you're not familiar with shop with a cop, it's literally just an opportunity for kids from the community to shop for Christmas with police officers. So in my mind, what I thought was, was ramping up to, to see what am I going to find in the news, what article am I going to see, it really just ended up being people uh, enjoying some Christmas shopping together. <laughs> and I think uh, you guys know what I'm talking about because I think our minds exactly do the same thing when it comes to anxiety. We start racing through all the the what-ifs that are going on in our head. And we live in an anxious world. That's why we're walking through this series. That's why Joel is leading us through this series. Uh, And we've said this, that America leads the way in anxiety. The National Institute of Mental Health says this, that 31% of people struggle with anxiety at some point in their lives. It's about one in three it's pretty vague. Uh, so I found another study that was the Mayo Health Clinic. It said 44% of college students struggle with anxiety and depression. It's about one out of every two college students. So please, check in on us. But I think, what do we do when we're faced with anxiety? What do we do when we're faced with these, these what-ifs that I keep racing through in my head? I think if you're anything like me, you, you try to control them. You try to control these thoughts. We attempt to control our feelings, control our situations. We race through our mind, if we could just control what people think about me, if we could just control uh, how other people see me, if we could control the situations that go on in our life, life would be so much easier. If we could control how successful we would be, if we could control the things that are going on in our life, we would see that as, as so much easier. But this lifestyle of attempting to control things in our life leads us to to work faster, to work harder, try to be more efficient. We want to try to catch up and correct whatever situation is making us anxious. And this lifestyle leads to long hours, leads to more stress. It could lead to burnout, lead to fatigue. And so Joel has said this throughout this series, that uh, God's presence is the antidote to anxiety. God's presence is the antidote to anxiety. In the past few weeks, we've been looking at uh, Philippians 4, Paul's response in the Bible of how to be calm in an anxious world. And I'd love to just read that together this morning. So it'll be up on the screen, but if you've got a Bible, open it up in your lap. Philippians 4, verse 4 through 9 says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Will you guys pray with me this morning? Father, we love you. We trust you. Father, we praise you for who you are. You are a good and faithful God. You are big and near God. You are holy and grace-filled God. We thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in our place on the cross for our sin. We believe that he was buried and rose again. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. And we thank you in advance for all that you promise that you'll accomplish in us, for us, and even through us. So, Father, today we stand in the strength of your presence. In our present situation, whether good or bad, help us to hear from you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Philippians 4, verse 4 through 9, uh, Paul is laying out a roadmap for us on how to be calm in an anxious world. He's not describing these top 10 steps that you need to implement in your life. Rather, he's laying out this lifestyle for us. Uh, And Joel has uh, led us through kind of an acronym on how to be calm in an anxious world, and the acronym is CALM. So C, we've talked about, uh, C stands for celebrate God who is present, because God's a big God. He's in ultimate control. But He's also a near God. He's intimate. He's in the boat with us. God's a good God. He's a master making us mess into his masterpiece. He's a holy God where he shows us his relentless grace. The A stands for this, ask God for help. Ask God for help. Uh, When we need help, we should cast it to God and quit carrying them. We should practice uh, his presence because he's here with us. And and when you're praying, you should be real, because he already knows what's going on in your life. And Paul introduces us into two words in the middle of this passage that I'd love to uh, examine today, because I think that they have the power to change everything. So in verse 6, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So I'm going to fill in the, the L part of the acronym, and we're going to flush this out. Uh, but the L stands for leave it with him. Leave your anxiety with him. We're going to practice presenting our request to God, casting our concerns and anxieties onto God. And in place of that, he's going to swap our anxiety for something else. And this leads us exactly what I want to talk about today, and it kind of leans, leads to our main takeaway for the morning, uh, and I'm giving it to you within the first 10 minutes here, but I'm asking that you stay involved, stay engaged, because I'd like to, to flesh this out together and see what it looks like in our life. Sound good? Yep. Perfect, perfect, perfect. So here, here's our bottom line for today. To be calm in an anxious world, we need to replace our anxiety with gratitude, Replace our anxiety with gratitude. One of the antidotes to our perpetual anxiety is to live with persistent grace. To replace constant anxiety, I need to live with constant gratitude. Max Lucado, in a uh, book *Anxious for Nothing*, he says this: that studies have linked the emotion of gratitude with a variety of other positive effects. Grateful people tend to be more empathetic and forgiving. People who kept a gratitude journal are more likely to have a positive outlook on life. Grateful individuals demonstrate less envy, materialism, and self-centeredness. Gratitude improves self-esteem and enhances relationships, quality of sleep, and longevity. That sounds great. (laughs) If gratitude came in a pill form, it would be deemed a miracle cure. Worry refuses to share the heart with gratitude. And so I think of it this way, when gratitude walks into the equation, anxiety walks out. Gratitude focuses on what I do have and what God has done in my life, whereas anxiety focuses on what we don't have or maybe what we are afraid of losing. And research shows this, that anxiety and gratitude cannot coexist in the brain at the same time. You simply can't share the brain with both of those things. So when I do this, by choosing to fix my eyes, my mind, and my heart on gratitude, then anxiety doesn't control me anymore. And Paul did this. Paul did this, and he, uh, when Paul is writing this to the Philippians, he's actually writing this while he's in prison. So he is waging the war on worry in a jail cell. He says this, uh, do not be anxious about everything, but in every situation, we read that in Philippians. Uh, in First Thessalonians, uh, he says this, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, even in prison. Because Paul shares with us this, he shares us this gritty gratitude that's not dependent on our circumstances, but is present in all circumstances, he, he does this because Paul's gratitude was firm in the face of hardship, no matter what was going on. And Paul says to practice the presence of God and pursue the God of peace with thanksgiving in every situation. And now, if we think about gratitude, focusing on what we do have, what God's done for us in our life, the opposite of gratitude would be ingratitude. Ingratitude. And there's a couple things that we can learn about ingratitude in the Bible when we open it up. And uh, a couple things, if you're writing things down, write this down. Ingratitude is a a sign of rebellion. Ingratitude's a sign of rebellion. Uh, 2 Timothy 3 says this, but mark this at the end, there's going to be terrible times in the last days. People are going to be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving. You see, this rebellion is us resisting the giver. Another thing we can learn about ingratitude is this, that ingratitude is a sign of rejection. In Romans 1, Paul says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to them. Rejection is this refusing to see God working in your situation and uh, refusing to give him thanks. So what does ingratitude look like in our daily lives? Do you guys know someone who's ungrateful? You don't have to look at them right now. But (laughs) maybe maybe you're kind of like me in the same boat where maybe there's times where I'm ungrateful. Uh, There's situations where it feels like uh, myself or a person can never be satisfied Enough is never enough, and they're always comparing what do I have in my life versus what's going on in other people's lives. And uh, C.S. Lewis talks about this place called the land of Ur, and he says this, we tend to play the comparison game and we travel to the land of Ur. We want to be smarter, prettier, richer, stronger, and happier. But the danger of camping out here in the land of Ur is that it can lead us to the land of Est. Where we want to be the smartest, the prettiest, the richest, the strongest, the most retweeted-est, if that's even a word. And neither of these lands can bring uh, us happiness. So the only problem with uh, pursuing this land of urs, it turns into the land of Est. And the disappointment that you feel when you can't reach it uh, is you become discontent. You are constantly discontent. And your discontent fuels your envy. And this could be so difficult in the world we live in today, and and not just with students where I've experienced this, but young adults, adults, uh, um, and and so on and so forth. But here's the problem is is with our world of social media is things get amplified. You you start to see the, uh, if you open up your Facebook, open up your Instagram, you get to watch everyone else's highlight reel of a life. And you start to see things like this that can fuel discontentment or fuel envy. Here's some examples of what you see on Facebook. You get to see their New Year's resolution is going so great. They lost 20 pounds in four weeks. You can also flip over and see this person finished a hard workout where they achieved their new personal best. This couple is going on a two-week vacation across Europe. You get to see in the highlight reel of everyone else's life, you get to see her kids enjoying the most nutritional organic snack. You see the Instagram post of his new 2023 car because of his high-paying job. You get to see their kids dressed nicely in the clothes that she made, enjoying the family dinner at the table that he built with vegetables that they grew from their garden, When at the end, they'll relax in a spotless house. You get to see everyone else's <laughs> highlight reel of a life broadcasted out in social media for everyone to display. And what this does is this fuels discontentment in our life, and it can fuel envy in our life. So we've got a picture we'll throw up on the screen here, but this discontentment in my life fuels our envy, and then our envy fuels our discontent, and we find ourselves on this merry-go-round of anxiety, stress, and worry from our discontentment. And what do we do with this? We can't just sit in there and, and accept it and enjoy it, but uh, we can turn to the book of Proverbs where we get to uh, listen to some wisdom in this aspect. And Proverbs 14, it says this, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. You see, this envy that we're talking about here can corrupt the inside of our lives, corrupt the good things that are even going on in our life. And, and rather than focusing on things we do have, this envy comparison focuses on uh, these negative thoughts, these negative thoughts that, that we get to see in everyone else's life. The pastor Craig Rochelle says this, uh, envy is resenting God's goodness in someone else's life while ignoring God's goodness in mine. So when we read this, when we start to think about ingratitude, Uh, It kind of makes it interesting because Paul goes on later uh, to say this in in Philippians. He says, uh, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So living with gratitude is learning this secret to be content. And if so, what's the secret? Uh Lucado shares in a book uh, this story about uh, his friend Jerry that he loves going out to play golf with. Uh, and uh, Jerry's wife, uh, her name is Ginger, she battles Parkinson's disease. So what would have been a wonderful life of retirement for this couple is, is now filled with hospital visits, uh, with, with long hours, medication, and many struggles. It can be hard to, to kind of balance that life. Uh, but Ginger has Jerry at her side. Ginger never complains, always has a smile, and cracks a joke. And uh, Lucado asked Jerry for a secret, and he said this. Every morning, Ginger and I sit together and sing a hymn. I, I ask her, Jerry says, what she wants to sing, and she always says, count your blessings. So we sing it, and we count our blessings together. Now, this uh, old hymn that they're kind of talking about, you've probably heard it before, uh, it's called Count Your Blessings. And, and here's how the, the hymn goes. It goes, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. So this secret to replacing my anxiety with gratitude is I need to start counting. This, uh, to replace my anxiety with gratitude, uh, gratitude, I need to count the blessings that are in my life. So count your blessings. And the, the secret is to start thanking God for the things that he's done in our life. And Paul challenges us to develop this reflex of praise. And when I think of reflex, it's almost like a non-conscious like, thought. Like if you ever get your reflex tested in your knee and it just jerks forward. Right? So that's almost like a non-conscious thought. It just happens. So Paul challenges us to v- develop this reflex of praise Develop a response, and it could look like this. Maybe it helps you to to journal your gratitude. Write down the things that you're thankful for that God's done in your life. Maybe it's to do this, begin and end your day with gratitude. Maybe there's a way you could memorialize your gratitude. Paul says to be creative with your gratitude. There's things that you can do as a family in your house. Maybe it's to create a wall of gratitude in your house. To, to write down on sticky notes, put pictures up there of things that God has done in your life that you're so thankful for. Maybe it's to create a gratitude tablecloth that you see at the dinner table. Maybe uh, you talk about your gratitude at dinnertime with the family. You go around and share just the great things that God is doing in your life and you count your blessings together. But here's the point. When you start counting and keep counting, you can mature and grow up in Jesus, and As you keep counting, you're, you'll be able to count higher and higher, and you'll be able to go higher with your counting. So What starts maybe as this, is thank you for this day, thanks for this meal. Maybe it turns into, God, thanks for this house, God, thanks for my car, uh, thanks for my job, et cetera, et cetera. And then you can turn that to maybe, God, thank you for my family, thank you for my friends, the people you've put in my life to surround me, and then, and then, and then, and just keep going and keep counting your blessings. Ephesians 1 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And there's a lot of blessings that we have to inherit. Uh, So maybe you turn to God and say, God, thanks for the blessings that I have in Christ, because we can open your word and look at Scripture and, and see that I am a trophy of your grace. God, we are masterpieces in your hands, God, we are a part of your body. As a part of your family, we are seated with Christ, and I am an heir in the family of God. And so as you start counting, you keep counting, you're able to count higher and higher. Uh, You might be able to start counting as high as Paul did. In 2 Corinthians, he talks to us about this time where there was a thorn in his flesh given by a messenger of Satan to torment him. And three times Paul pleaded with the Lord to take it away from him. But the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Through every situation that Paul was walking through in his life, he was able to depend on God for his strength, his confidence, and all of his grace. Encounting your blessings is contagious. Have you guys ever heard that complaining's Contagious. Yeah, if you haven't heard that, just talk to a Browns fan for a little bit. <laughs> there's always next year. But uh, complaining is contagious, obviously, and, and, and we, we know that from a few situations. My own personal experience is this, is I take, uh, I have the wonderful opportunity to go on mission trips with students, uh, and we always kind of preach to them that there's three really important words when it comes to mission trips. The first word is Flexibility. Because things may pop up that you didn't know that were, was going to happen. And sometimes if, if, if that's a difficult situation, people can start to complain. And then the next person will complain and it will just build on each other. So we, we always talk about this flexibility that's so important to have when you're going on this trip. The second word that we talk about that's so important for mission trips is flexibility. Flexibility. Because flexibility is super important when it comes to trips. And, and this third word that's super important, you guys have probably never heard this before, but the third word that's so important when it comes to mission trips is flexibility. That's right. So we talk about this flexibility because sometimes things come up and it can really affect the way that the trip goes. A couple years ago, I had the opportunity to go to New Mexico, uh, to Zuni, New Mexico, and, and there were some members of the Barberton campus. Uh, Xavier was there, and, and, and we were on this trip together, and we had a great week. And and we were counting our blessings together. We were so excited that we had such a great week and we were ready to get home. So we drove to Albuquerque, which is where we're going to fly back from. We get to the airport, uh, and there's some bad weather going on in the area, which delays our flight, which means that we're going to miss our layover in Dallas and not make it home tonight. This weather didn't clear up, so what happened to a delay turned into a cancellation of our flights. And we had 18 people uh, on this trip together and 18 people now had no way to get home tonight so where you guys could probably see where that could start to fuel some opportunities for for people to complain because we just had such a great week we're all exhausted we're we're, we're really just wanted to get in our own beds tonight take a nice shower uh, and you can see how quickly that can change to, to focusing on bad things that have happened to us But what turned out to be good in the end, with a couple days later, we got all of us back home. We were able to celebrate and finally get a good shower. Some of you guys, uh, maybe in this room, uh, will probably know what I'm talking about. But the retreat a couple years ago that we do with our uh, high school students, uh, this retreat was at this uh, camp called Camp McPherson. Uh, And we've never been there before, but uh, we were having a great time. The only thing that could cause some complaining is that the chapel, where the chapel was, because most of the camp was on the normal level. We had uh, the dining hall. We had all the rooms where everyone was staying in. We had the fields, everything going on. Uh, But the chapel, where we were doing all our worship and stuff, was at the top of a hill. And it was like steeper than steep. Uh, and so it almost took, with a group of people, it took like 15 minutes to get up that hill, and you're huffing and puffing the whole way. Um, and so some of the students didn't like that. I don't disagree with them. Uh, but they talked about this 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 hill that was supposed to, uh, the, the camp was uh, telling us that it helps prepare your heart for maybe what God's going to do uh, in the service. And I said, of course it's preparing my heart, but you might need to prepare an ambulance at the top of the hill if I don't make it all the way. And so complaining can be contagious, especially on trips that you've been on. But uh, Paul says the secret to to being content is to count your blessings, because counting is contagious. Keep counting your blessings. Count them out loud. Count them all the time. Count them all the way, and it will become contagious. Ephesians 5 says this, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs in the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This counting your blessings together is so contagious. So you can count your blessings for one another, with one another, and about one another. And by doing this, you're, you're creating an environment that, that reflects on all that God has done uh, with a thankful heart. It's one of the reasons I love being involved in uh, a small group, being involved in biblical community. Uh, because uh, I, Ashley and I are involved in this young married group uh, of, of other young couples that are in the same stage of life, uh, and it's an avenue for us to count our blessings together. We get to share the, the highs and lows of our weeks, the highs and lows of our life, uh, and counting our blessings together becomes contagious. And some of you guys in this room are maybe like, well, Logan, you don't really know my life. You don't know that I can only count so high uh, my blessings are really few and far in between. And what I want to step into is, is that Paul offers us a renewing of our mindset. And I'd like to spend some time there this morning. Because to replace my anxiety with gratitude is to count on his promises. Counting our blessings uh, is thanking uh, God for what he has done in our life. Whereas counting our promises is thanking him in advance for what his promises will do. I can count on the God who has always been faithful to always be faithful. He doesn't change. He will always act like God. Psalm 145 says this, The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all that he does. Paul says this earlier in Philippians. We read part of it, But I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership from the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who has began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul knew this. Paul knew that the one working, uh, all the one who did all the work for my salvation is working on my sanctification. Paul knew that that God is working to accomplish His purpose for my good. Uh, Paul knew this: that that if He ain't good, then He ain't done. Right. <laughs> Uh, Paul knew this, that uh, God's Holy Spirit is convicting, guiding, and encouraging. Paul knew that, that God promises that he'll never leave us. He, God promises rest for the, the weak and heavy laden who come to him. He promises to forgive my sin when I confess. When I practice the presence with rejoicing and prayer, then he promises that the peace of God will stand over my heart. Paul reminded us of some really great promises that we have as believers. Philippians 3 says this, But our citizenship is in heaven as we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Paul didn't need to freak out or stress out about what was happening in this world. Because Paul knew that uh, in John 14, Jesus promised that he was going to leave, he was going to prepare a a place for us, but he was going to come back. God promises that he would make everything new. He promised that there would be no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. Lucato says in his book, can death take our joy? No, Jesus is greater than death. Can failure take our joy? No, Jesus is greater than our sin. Can betrayal take our joy? No, Jesus will never betray us. Can disappointment take our joy? No. Even though our plans may not work, he is working on his plan. Can sickness take our joy? No, because God has uh, promised us, whether on this side of the grave or the other, that he will heal us. 2 Corinthians 1 says this, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God of God. So count your blessings for sure. Count on his promises absolutely. And when you do this, you start to get a glimpse of what Paul was learning and what he was sharing with us today. And you've probably heard this verse before, but uh, uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This verse isn't about all the things that I can do or all the strength that I have, but really the focus of this verse is on him. It helps us focus our eyes, our mind, and our heart on him. So we talk about counting your blessings, sure, yeah, of course, that's awesome. Count count on his promises, absolutely. And by doing this, you'll be able to see what Paul saw, and that was him. So count on him. God isn't who he is because he does what he does. Rather, God does what he does because he is who he is. Uh, The the same God who has been faithful and will be faithful is faithful. God who has been loving and will be loving is love. God who has been just and right and will be just and right is justice and righteousness. God who has been present and will be present is present in our current life. Hebrews 13.8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. In the middle of our mess, Jesus was sent to to meet us exactly where we are, exactly how we are. And and, and Jesus was to shine the lights bright on the creator of everything. C.S. Lewis uh, noted that our tendency is to give God thanks for what he's done for us, the blessings that he's bestowed upon us, uh, namely salvation through Jesus, which is awesome. We should definitely do that, literally, count our blessings. But when we really get down to the root of what our thankfulness should spring from for the believer, it's not just from what God has given us. We should be thankful simply for who God is. Being thankful is one thing, Lewis says, but knowing who we're thanking leads us into a life saturated with thanksgiving and thanksgiving. Living a life of worship, gratitude, thanks, and fellowship with the one true God. And I'm going to invite the band up as we close here, but... Uh, one thing I wanted to share with you guys is I'm not much of a car guy at all, like really. So don't, I'm not going to be the one to help you fix your car. <laughs> um, so when either of our cars need work in our house, uh, I take the car to the shop. Because Lord knows that uh, there's not enough YouTube videos out there that's going to help me change whatever needs fixed. <laughs> but here's the good thing about when I take my car in. Here's something that I think the, the mechanic is thankful for that I don't, I don't stick around with the car. I don't tell the mechanic exactly what he needs to do. I don't pop up a, a, a chair in the middle of the garage and, and stick around and, and make sure that he's working on it. Because uh, anything that I would do would do nothing but irritate the workers of me trying to say, hey, no, you should fix this. You should tighten this. Uh, this was leaking, so you need to do this. Uh, <laughs> that would just irritate them. But here's the thing. I trust my car In the hands of the car shop because they I know that they're gonna be able to find the issue and they're gonna be able to fix it and help me realize that my car is in good hands here's what I learned in the big picture of this is sometimes we try to take control of our lives we take the car to the shop our check engine light is on life is crazy and we pop up a chair And we try to control everything. We try to say, hey, God, maybe you should do this in my life and it'll fix it. We say, hey, God, this isn't really going right. Here's what you need to do to fix that. We start trying to tell God how to fix our situations. And maybe this is to fill our lives uh, with temporary Band-Aids, slap it on some deep hurt. Maybe it's to try to listen to these podcasts about how to live a better life, read all these books on how to to, to to succeed in life. All these are temporary fixes. And maybe for you this morning, maybe you've put gasoline in the air filter. Maybe you've put wiper fluid in the tank and it doesn't seem to be working. Instead, smoke is going everywhere in your life and nothing that you're doing is fixing the situation. Here's my question for you this morning. Would you be willing to give your life to God? Some of you have done that. Some of you has, had said yes to Jesus and you spent your life following him, but you still got a chair in the garage. You still keep telling him what it is that he needs to do. Maybe some of you this morning have never pulled your car in the shop at all. You've watched every YouTube video out there, found every temporary fix, but yet still smoke seems to be going everywhere. There needs to be a point in your life when you're working on a car, there's smoke going everywhere, things are overheating where you just throw your hands up and let the mechanic do his job. So are you willing to give up control? Are you willing to give your life to God? Proverbs 3, 5, 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. This word trust that's in this verse is actually uh, translated to literally lie down helpless, face on the ground. It it, it kind of pictures maybe a servant that is waiting for the master's command or or even uh, in readiness to obey. The The word trust also means maybe it's a defeated soldier yielding himself to the conquering general. And here's what I know. I think a lot of the reason that anxiety stirs up in our life is that we try to lean on our own understanding, try to do what we know and how to fix the situation. So this leads with our life up in smoke. Every light on the dashboard is on. Lucado shares the story in his book uh, where he spent some time with the trapeze artists. So the people that fly through the air, uh, rope to rope, drawn people. And uh, he asked this trapeze artist, what is the secret of trapeze artists? How do you guys do what you do? And this trapeze artist shared that literally as the flyer, all you need to do is lift up your arms and someone's going to catch you. Whereas if you're the flyer and you try to grab on and catch the catcher, you might break their wrists or, or, or they might break my wrist. And that's the end for both of us. So the job of the flyer is to, to let go, lift up the arms and fly. And the job of the catcher is to catch. In the great... Trapeze Art of Salvation, Lucato says, God is the catcher, and we are the flyers. We trust, period. We rely solely upon God's ability to catch us, and as we do trust Him, something amazing happens. We fly. You see, your Father has never dropped anyone, and He's not going to drop you. His grip is sturdy, and His hands are open. Place yourself entirely in his care. Give up control of your life. Throw your hands up and trust him to catch you. So I don't know all the stories of people in this room, but maybe you're walking in this morning and your wrists are broken. Maybe the the car is up in smoke. You've reached the end of your own understanding. And, And God's invitation for you this morning is to give it to him to throw up your hands, literally give up all control that you think you have in your life. And he'll catch you. God wants us to fly. So let's focus on flying and let's him focus on the catching. So Paul says to be anxious for nothing. We can do that by counting our blessings, counting on his promises and ultimately counting on him. My hope and prayer is for each of us in this room that, that, that any time we're, we're, we feel like we're controlled by our anxious thoughts, cars up in smoke, we don't know what's going on, all the signs of anxiety are filling our lives, my prayer is that we'll, we'll throw up our hands to give control away because nothing that we're gonna do is gonna, is gonna fix our lives. So we need to throw up our hands and leave the work for God to do. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you. We trust you. Father, we praise you for who you are. You are a good and faithful God. Lord, you meet us exactly where we're at. And you accept us as the mess that we are. And that doesn't stop your love. You offer us peace and joy that's found in your love. Father, thanks for loving us. Thanks for sending Jesus to die in our place on the cross for our sin thank you for all that you've done for us and we thank you in advance for all that you promise that you'll accomplish we bow before your present in all of our situations knowing that you love us and you have a plan for us father help us to trade our anxiety for gratitude help us to count the many blessings that you've given us Help us to count your many promises that you will not leave us nor forsake us and that you'll provide and protect us. God, you promise to guide us. Help us to ultimately count on you as the ultimate ruler and authority of our life. Help us to give every worrisome or anxious thought to you and trust you as creator of the universe. Father, thank you for never giving up on us. Pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.